What's up, guys? Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and I am really trying to figure out a name for people that listen to this podcast. You know how people just have different names for their listeners, so I was thinking like non-experts is really the only thing that makes sense, but I'm not sold on it. So if you guys have any ideas, DM me at Chelsea Reif, let me know. But this week we have someone that is from Australia on the podcast, which is quite the coincidence since I just moved here. And as you guys know, if you listen to last week's episode, I'm doing little updates about my time here and the adjustment process, what I'm learning. So this week, no different than last week, a lot of new words. So I would say going back to last week too is the shortening of words. They call liquor stores bottle shops, but then they shorten it to bottle-o. So they're like, let's go to the bottle-o. And that means like we're going to the liquor store and they say things very literally. So instead of groceries, they say we're going to go do our food shop. So if you think about it, like that's what groceries are, but it's so literal. And then instead of saying like laundry, they say, oh, I need to do the washing. And it's it kind of makes sense. Like, oh, yeah, you need to wash it. But to me, I'm like, washing is a verb. Like, what are we talking about? There's also just totally different words that we don't even use. Like they call napkins serviettes. I think that sounds like a bottle of wine. I was like, I would actually play a prank in America and say like, can I get a bottle of serviette and see if they notice? Because I have never heard that word in my life and it sounds so fancy. The other thing is what they call pub food. They say pub feed. And I was like, that sounds like you're like about to feed a group of animals, right? Like, I don't know. The word pub feed sounds like the feed that you would give like cows. So I was like, hmm, that's a little weird, but... Uh, outside of words of the day, there's also a big culture difference in terms of cafes. So in America, I feel like certain cities have cafe culture. Like, you know, you just get your laptop and you go and you sit down. But I feel like that's very popular, again, in bigger cities. That's not so popular in smaller towns. That's huge here. They actually have like full menus at the cafes. Like the other day I went and they were serving pasta at lunch. And I'm like, I thought this was going to be croissants and bagels and pastries. They do like pasta, soups, sandwiches, panini, salads. So they really go all out. I would say the closest thing where I'm from to a cafe is like Starbucks and Panera. Um, of course, again, they do have like really cute ones that you can go to, but it's just not common. Like you rarely ever see a group of people being like, hey, let's go to the cafe for lunch. It's more of like a lazy Sunday. You're like, you know what? I'd love to just stroll around the neighborhood and and go to a cafe. But here it's almost like that's what you do. You go to a cafe for breakfast and lunch. They all close at three, so you would never go there for dinner. They're not something that you can like hang out at all day. But I've basically made it my morning routine to sign up with a workout class on ClassPass and then find a cafe that's close by just to see the cafe culture. I really like the um, the menu because what's interesting is, like I said, they have all these different foods that they call apps entrees no 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 maybe i messed it up i think they call apps meals and then entrees oh, you guys i don't even remember now they basically don't use the word appetizers so when you're looking at the menu things that i would be like oh this looks like an appetizer they don't call it that they call it an entree but then it's heavier than what we would have in the states too so that's really interesting um so if you do come to a cafe here it's definitely big, and again, they're going to have more than just like croissants and pastries, which is nice. I've also noticed that the babies are really well-behaved here. I went to an F45 workout class last week, and there was a baby just sitting in a stroller, which they call a pram here, P-R-A-M. 
And F45, if you've never been, is like Orange Theory. You're literally running around stations. EDM music is blaring. People are sprinting across the room. And this baby was just sitting there two or three different times I went, just sitting in a stroller, like watching his mom, never trying to get her attention or cry or jump out of the stroller. And I was like, this is weird because I feel like in America the kid will be trying to definitely get his mom or dad to come over or just somehow be wanting attention or just unentertained. That wasn't the case here. And then I went to a Pilates class yesterday and same thing. This little girl wasn't even in a stroller. She was just hanging out in the lobby, probably three years old, just like reading a book, waiting for her dad to be done with Pilates. I was like, wait, I feel like maybe I'm just thinking about how my kids would behave if I ever had them. I feel like they'd be running around trying to get my attention, jumping on the Pilates reformer machines, like going insane. And that is not what's happening. I actually feel like I haven't even heard a baby cry or have a temper tantrum since I've been here. So I don't know if that's just like Australian parenting or what, but I'm into it. So I might be raising my future baby in Australia, you know, as soon as I find someone to have that child with. The other big thing is their coffee. So they are known for coffee. I've been trying coffee. And the thing is, like, I'm just not a person that drank coffee before. Anyone that knows me knows I used to make my coffee basically taste like a chocolate milkshake. Like, I would be throwing tons of creamer in it, sugar, whipped cream, mocha. Like, literally, you might as well have just ordered a milkshake from, like, Steak and Shake and called that my coffee order. So here... When I'm getting coffee and everyone's like, oh, can you taste the difference? Isn't it so amazing? It's not like I don't taste the difference. It's just that I feel like I don't have a sophisticated enough coffee palate to really understand how much better it is. But that is something that every American that moves over here raves about. And what's interesting is that Starbucks is like the only, this is the only country where it wasn't profitable. I've only seen one Starbucks and it was downtown, like right next to, you know, all the financial buildings and that's it. And I'm in a larger neighborhood and there's no Starbucks. Like, you know, in America, every corner you turn, there's a Starbucks. That's not the case here. So they're very big on coffee. They take it very seriously. And if you said you love Starbucks, they would probably laugh in your face. They obviously have different sports. Like they have rugby and cricket which we don't, which actually makes me think the overall vibe or culture that I could tell you I could relate this to is literally a mix of America and England. And what I mean by that is they're very English, they have very English customs because if you guys didn't know, Australia actually is a commonwealth of the UK. Like Queen Elizabeth is on their money. That's why there's the British flag and their flag. So they do have a lot of these of English customs, like they make tea properly, you know, in America, I mean, at least in my part of town, we boiled our tea in the microwave by just reheating it. Here they have like proper kettles, they really enjoy their tea. The big thing is to go out to pubs and eat there. They have fish and chips actually all over, which is really surprising. I wasn't expecting that. Um, what else? They a lot of the words they say are English from like England words, and I remember thinking, like, okay. This is how I remember going to England and thinking like what they call clothes, you know, like trainers and jumpers and trousers. They use a lot of those same words, but in a way it's also like America because their food is very similar to America and the way they eat. I am shocked by everywhere I go, they have so many burgers. Like I would actually say they have more burger options than America does, which is really surprising. They also do fried chicken sandwiches everywhere. I keep passing hot dog stands, not hot dog stands, like hot dog um, places to eat, which I don't know. I When I thought of Australia, again, this is just from movies. You think of surfers and the beach and 
just like summer sun all the time. So in my mind, I was thinking everyone's eating like acai bowls and smoothies and like fresh salads. And of course they have all that here, but I'm just shocked that everywhere I go, there's always a cheeseburger and there's always a fried chicken sandwich at the top of the menu and chicken Parmesan, which they call schnitzel. So that is something that's very similar to America and in the way they eat, it's not like traditionally European. You know how Europeans really value mealtime and you'll be at dinner for two to four hours, drinking, eating. It takes a while to get your check and your food. Here, it's very quick. Like today I ordered a fried chicken sandwich and I went to the bathroom and I came back and it was already there. And I literally had put the order in five minutes prior. So that's really interesting. And then also um, just the time they eat. So they're not trying to sit there, you know, for four hours and catch up. They do that more at the pubs, which is why I think it's very similar to England. And they also have banter like English people. I feel like if you've ever been to the UK or any part of England, you know what I'm talking about. They have this like cheeky banter where it's funny and sarcastic, but it's not mean. I feel like you probably could meet people that if you're sensitive, you're like, oh, that's like sarcasm and they're being passive aggressive. But it's really like they literally call it like cheeky banter. And so I think that's so similar to England as well. Something that I will say about its culture is it's also similar to Europe in terms of amenities. So I feel like if you're from America, you're so used to having all these like supersized extra amenities. For example, um, if you go to the grocery store and you want a flavor of seltzer water, there's like 50 flavors and 50 brands. Here it's like two to three. Same thing with anything like, oh, flavor of yogurt. You can go to any grocery store and find 14 different flavors from one brand. Here it's like three, like strawberry, banana, coconut. So that's been interesting. And then also just like in the house, like they don't have central AC and heat. You have to either get like a space heater or turn on like a fan uh, what else? The the dryer. They don't have dryers, so everyone hangs up their clothing. Again, that's very European. Everywhere I went in Europe, these were all like luxuries to have. And so I've noticed that here too. It's like these things are more luxuries. They're not necessarily uh, the amenities that you find in America. Whereas in America, like college apartments have all this stuff. You go to any college apartment and you'll see a washer, a dryer, central AC, heat, pools, gyms, like all that stuff. They don't have that here. And that's why I'm starting to think why Aussies love Americans. That's something I learned is they love Americans and they love blondes. So that works out well for me. And I was asking my friend, I was like, but what is it about America that they're like obsessed with? Or like, why is it such a, an interesting country? Not that I don't think America is interesting, but obviously I'm from there. So I'm trying to see it from another perspective. And he said, if you think about it, like all the big entertainment and trends come from America, like all the movies and the shows and everything, but also everything is just always like extra and supersized. And once he said that, it hit me like, oh yeah, you know, you're right. Like when you go to a grocery store, it's massive and there's 50,000 cereal brands and flavors and options where here, again, it's like two to three things that you pick from. So I feel like that's why when they go to America, it's probably the same thing as when you're a kid and you go to a candy store and there's a billion options of candy. I think that's what's so appealing about America to Australians and probably even Europeans. And that's something that here I'm like, oh, I see what you mean. Now when I go grocery shopping, I'm like, yep, this makes sense. Like there's one aisle, there's one section. It's not an entire aisle dedicated to cereal. It's literally one little section of the aisle. 
So that's something that I'm not really like adjusting to just because I'm kind of a creature of habit in terms of what I buy when I go grocery shopping. And it's not that different when I, sorry, food shop is what they call it, but it's not that different. Um, it's not like I went and I'm like, whoa, what do all these things mean? I don't know what I'm buying. Like never seen this before. So that's been easy to adjust to as well. And every day, like I said, I, I've tried to have a routine because what I didn't want to do is become such a tourist in my first few weeks here and blow my savings because I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know how much of a security deposit I have to put down. I'm still staying with a friend. And then I also want to be mindful of like, you never know what's going to happen. I don't want to, again, just like blow my money doing rooftop drinks and tourist like climbs and hikes and all these things. Like, you know, you can hike the, um, Sydney Bridge, I think that's what it's called. That's probably not even what it's called, but you can go up there. You can do all these like touristy things, but I haven't wanted to do that because I, I don't want to blow my money. So I'm kind of treating my first few weeks here as if I'm literally just a resident of the neighborhood I'm in. So I wake up, I've been going to a workout class, I've been going to a cafe, hanging out there for one to two hours, bringing my laptop, and then I'll walk around, run some errands. Like I said, go, go grocery shopping, maybe go to a beach, read, watch TV. Like I just want to make such a routine that I don't feel like I have to be running around all the time and spending my money. That also brings me to an exciting announcement that I'm going to Bali next week for a month to get my yoga uh, teacher certification. So I am so excited about that because I have loved yoga for a long time. I got into it in college and then I always went through phases where I would be really into it like five days a week. Then I'd back off, then I'd get back into it two to three times a week. And I just noticed every time I did it, I always felt better because I was at a desk job where you're sitting all day long. And then on the weekends, you're usually sitting down too, like at a bar, at a restaurant, at a movie. And so whenever I do yoga, I'm like, God, this just feels so nice to get in all these different positions that the human body is not used to doing. And it's that one hour I have to relax. And so I thought about, well, when I moved to Australia, if I'm not immediately going into my old industry, what's something that I would want to do that I really enjoy? that I've never really tapped into because I didn't have the time. Yoga immediately popped up. So I said, you know what? Why don't I look up yoga certification schools um, somewhere cheap like Thailand or Bali or India and see what comes up. And so I am going there next week to Trimurti or Trimurti, probably not saying that right, yoga school. And I will be there for basically the entire month. And I'm so excited. I've never been to Bali. I'm, I'm going to post on Instagram stories and see what you know recommendations you guys have because I just keep Googling things and I'm so excited. I'm like dying to go to one of these beach clubs. The spas are so freaking cheap. I've already booked three spa days when I'm there because you can do a three to four and a half hour treatment for 55-0 US dollars. That includes like a 90 minute massage, 70 minute facial, flower bath, hair cream, mask, manicure, pedicure, all for 50 US dollars. And I was like, you know what? When am I ever going to go to Bali again and have that money to literally treat myself to a four and a half hour spa experience. So I've booked one every weekend on the days that I have off from yoga training. So 
catch me at a flower bath because that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> um, again, if you guys have recommendations, send them to me because I'm so excited. I've never been. All I know is it's cheap. It's beautiful. It's relaxing. Everyone's super nice. So I am so stoked to go there. So like I said, today's guest is Australian. Her name is Lauren Turlin, and she's actually a business coach and life coach strategist based in LA. She's originally from Western Australia, and you'll hear how she moved from Australia over to LA just recently. And I think you guys will find her story amazing because she starts like everyone else who's ever followed their passion. She did what she was told. She followed the path she was, you know, traditionally supposed to go down. She listened to her parents and her friends and her peers. She ended up in a job that traditionally is a really great paying job, but she just wasn't happy. And then she talks about how she just had this light bulb switch go off after a traumatic event that she's like, what am I doing? Like, is this really life has to offer? Like, this is it? And she talks about her shift to what she's doing now. And you're going to love her story. Like, she lives in a beautiful home now in Beverly Hills. She's young. She's confident. She's really a great role model for anyone that's looking to fulfill purpose. And that's actually what she specializes in. It's helping you find your purpose and your niche. So I think you guys are really going to love Lauren and the story she has to tell. Plus, her Australian accent does not hurt. All right, well, with that, let's jump into the interview. All right, guys, I am here with Lauren Turlin, and we are in her beautiful apartment in Beverly Hills. I was just in her living room admiring all the artwork she has. She has a whole room dedicated to creativity with books and crystals. It's just a creative space, and I'm just so curious, how did you end up here coming from a background where you were basically a lawyer in a job that you didn't like, and now you're living your best life? That's obviously a loaded question. So let's just start from the very beginning. Tell us about your childhood and where you grew up and how that was like. Yeah. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me here. Yes, <laughs> this is fun. Show. <laughs> um, I grew up in Perth in Western Australia. So it's kind of like I call it the LA of Australia in that it's on the West Coast. Mm. And fun fact, the most isolated city on the planet. Wow. Yeah. So that gives you a bit of context. Um, great place to grow up, but also um, kind of boring. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is why it's almost like life is so good there. And I found it, I I loved it growing up, but then was always in search of more adventure, more knowledge, more wisdom. And I think this is why a lot of Australians probably travel as well. Mm -hmm. And you guys, obviously you can hear the accent. She's from Australia. And I was like, how perfect since I'm moving there. So it sounds like I maybe don't need to go to Perth or maybe I do if I want like a creative isolation. Oh, and it's such, a, it's such a beautiful, and I think like Australia is just phenomenally naturally beautiful. Yes. And so if you have the time, definitely go. I wouldn't go there if you want to party. <laughs> okay. So say, so partying is more. Maybe like East Coast. Okay. Mm. That's good to know. These are yeah. little tips that we're going to pick up along the way because <laughs> I've literally never been to Australia. I just yeah. had a calling and I'm like going, seeing what's happening. So at least I know one person that's a native that totally. can give me that advice. And you're in for a treat. I think there's something really incredible about the expansiveness of Australia. There's 24 yes. million people wow. on the size of the US. So it creates space for you to get really creative because right. at times like there isn't a ton to do, especially where I grew up. So you're always out in search of like doing new things, learning about yourself, traveling the world, you name it. 
What about when you grew up, since you were in such a, it sounds like isolated area, mm. was everyone doing the traditional path that Americans do of going to college, getting your degree, maybe getting a master's degree, getting a corporate job? Like, what was that track like for you? Oh, completely. I thought that there were three careers that I could have growing <laughs> up. And it was like, be a lawyer, be a doctor, be an architect. Mm. And for me, like a part of me knew from a very young age, I think I was eight, that I wanted to run my own business. But apart from my dad, I didn't see any examples of that growing up. So I went down the path that I thought smart kids had to go to and actually got a law finance degree. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm just in shock because you're such a creative person. And I'm like looking at this room and I'm like, I just can't. Yeah, but, you know, I grew up in the system. Catholic school, went off to an Anglican school Mm -hmm. where, you know, grades were the most important thing. No one ever asked you what your vision was for your life, like who you knew you had to be, what your mission and purpose was. You just kind of got like shuttled through the system, thrown at the other end. And you're sitting there and you're like, well, I'm now a miserable lawyer and everyone (laughs) around me is also miserable. Right. What now? Yeah. Like, this is my life? Yeah. For the next 40 years, really? This is it. Like This is the pinnacle. But I didn't know any different. So then what prompted you to really say, what am I doing here? Like, this is not what I was meant to be doing. Yeah, I always say we have catalyst events that at the time seem like the worst thing that could ever happen to us, but then end up being in some way the biggest gift that we've ever been given. And um, in my final semester of university, my dad passed away. And so not only did I lose my dad, which was incredibly traumatic at the age of 23, but we were running, my parents were running a large construction company at the time. And that went into like liquidation, um, firstly into administration and liquidation. And there was a whole process around that. So my family lost something like four-fifths of our wealth. Wow. Like all gone in the matter of 12 months along with my dad. Oh my goodness. And so I had at the time, it still gives me like shivers down my spine, like a spiritual awakening. And everyone in my family did. Something just happened. It was like this bomb went off in our family. And all of a sudden we woke up one day and the world was completely different around us. Wow. Yeah. And then when you survive, I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in one of his books. When you survive the worst that you think that can happen to you, everything in comparison is like easy breezy. Yeah. Because it's like you're coming out of the other side of fire. So if you've been through fire... It's no big deal when you run into another fire. Totally. And actually, our house almost burnt down that year oh as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> so well, like, didn't know that. <laughs> it was like one of those years where you're like, wow, like on a scale of zero to like disaster, I'd live my 11. Wow. And when you said you had this spiritual awakening, were you guys, were you just going about life every day and it happened? Or were you guys doing some work? Like, you, were you going to meditation school, uh, teachings or trainings? Were you reading books? Was there anything that you think prompted that or was it literally out of nowhere just one day? Um, I would always say I've had some form of connection to my intuition and my inner self um, without really knowing what it was or having language around what it was. My mom um, was a massive reader while I was growing up. So I pretty much had access to a library of content, but it really wasn't until 2011 where life actually, and in the lead up to it as well, like I knew that my dad was going to pass away. So it was almost like my, my life was preparing me that whole year for what was to come. Wow. Yeah. And looking back at it now, it was, I mean, I can't regret having had those experiences because they completely shifted how I view reality and I'm so grateful for them. But at the time it was, um, horrendous. Yeah. I always, when I, I've never lost a parent, I'm the only person I've actually lost close to me is my grandmother when I was 
19 and we mm. already had our time together and she lived in Puerto Rico. So it's not like we were like that grandma granddaughter relationship where I was with her every day. And I just remember thinking if I lost my parent, I would have to move home. And I think I would be completely in a dark hole for probably six plus months because oh. I'm so close with them. Can you describe the aftermath of that? Like, did you move home? Did you quit anything? Did you just have to be with your family? Like, what was that like? Yeah, I um, I was working part-time at the time and studying, obviously, my last semester at university. I was luckily living at home, um, but I was not myself for probably a good 12 months. Like, I could have easily, like, sat on the sofa staring at the ceiling because what was going around us was so extreme right. that the shock of it, it didn't feel real. Um, like I said, I was having these like spiritual experiences in my dreams and in my day-to-day life that was making me really question my own reality. Mm-hmm. Nothing felt real. Um, and I was dealing with not, but not just like my own grief, but that of my family, my extended family and, um, of a lot of members in our community as well. So it was so many factors, but yeah, I think I was really fortunate in that. And, you know, if we talk about divine timing, I ended up graduating from university, I think a year later because I transferred universities, but the, in hindsight, the gift in that meant that when everything went down, I was still a student. Mm. I wasn't working full time and I could take six months off my life to really just like fall apart completely and be at home with my family. Which is nice when you think about it, like you said, in hindsight, some people might've been like, well, no, I want to stay busy. I want to stay distracted. I don't want to deal with the emotions, but I like the term you just use. Like you allowed yourself to fall apart completely. So you could almost build yourself back up. Yeah. What about when you had that big spiritual awakening, did that scare you? Or are you like, this is what I needed. I'm ready to go do something with this energy. Yeah. I think it was the greatest source of comfort for me at that time. When, when the rules that I had grown up with went out the window, I had nothing to grasp hold of. So it was almost as if, and I kind of call them like characters or energies were turning up in my life to reassure me that there was light at the end of the tunnel and that I would get through this and that there was hope. Because at the time, I felt like the entire world was ending. Right. I can't imagine feeling any other way. Yeah. And like, I thought the apocalypse was coming and it was only because I was living my own apocalyptic nightmare. Oh my goodness. So this happens. And Mm. then what do you do? What do you immediately do after that? Like the tangible step that you, you felt this energy and you're like, I need to do something with this. Did you quit your job or whatever you were working towards? Did you have a chat with anyone that you're like, I'm feeling alive again. I want to do something like, I want to hear about this from beginning to end. Yeah. So I guess the journey for me was firstly survival. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's all that you have your mind on at that point in time. Um, It's so, what you go through is so traumatic that you you cannot even action it or create a structure around it in order to cope. So you might say, well, I'm only going to grieve for two months. Forget it. Like grief doesn't have a plan of attack. You know, Mm -hmm. like it doesn't have a time frame that everything's done and dusted and you now come to the other side. I don't think grief is linear. I think it comes around in circles and will continue to do so at every different stage in your life. So for me, it was really about allowing myself to have that time to myself. I then got a graduate position the following week offered as a lawyer. So then I started working full time. In many ways, that was good. It created space for me to like sort myself out and to be in an environment that had some structure, which I think is quite important. And so I did that for two and a half years, all the while knowing that when the timing was right, I was going to go out and start creating my own life. 
And what did that life for you look like in your head? Um, I had no freaking idea. I just <laughs> knew that I was destined to be really successful and that I was going to be running my own business enterprise. That was all I knew. I just you had this like gut knowing from a very, very young age. And it just never went away is what it sounds no. like. No. Just that constant pull. That's kind of how I feel with me going to Australia. I'm like, I know I'm going to figure something out and totally. I know it's going to be fine. But then you hear these voices in your head or external voices being like, wait, you're not getting a real job or what do you mean you don't have something lined up? Yeah. What were the criticisms or external voices or even internal voices that you yeah. had in your head when you were trying to kind of shift this lifestyle? Yeah. So great question. Um, internally, I was thinking to myself, you are a failure if you quit the law. And that was like old programming that I needed to start to rewire and say to myself, no, actually you sitting in this office being absolutely miserable and hating your life is your definition of failure. You cannot fail if you go out there and start testing out and crafting your own life. Like, so once I reprogrammed that, I had to work through, um, the criticism of, and it was like from a very loving place of the seniors when I told them that I was leaving the law. Mm -hmm. um, one of them, I recall her telling me, Lauren, like you absolutely need a safety net, like under no circumstances, can you just leave law, you know, quit your job and start a business, like make sure that you can come back if you need to, blah, blah, blah. And I remember like listening to her and nodding my head, but internally thinking like, there is no chance that I'm going to leave a safety net in place because right. I know that this is not for me. I know that this is one step in my destiny. And I'm just going to keep rolling and trust myself. You talked about a word reprogramming, which yes. is so important. Can you explain yes. that to anyone who doesn't know what you're talking about? Yes. So when I talk about reprogramming, I'm talking about uh, rewiring your subconscious beliefs. Um, our subconscious drives, I would say like 99% of all of our actions and ways of operating in the world. And if we truly want to live our definition of abundance and success, the work is not done on a conscious level. It's not done on the doing level. It's done on the deep subconscious level, on the identity that you hold, on the beliefs, behaviors, the values that you have. And so most people wonder why they're constantly taking action but not getting the results that they want. It's because they're not working, not doing the deep inner work. Which is the hardest thing. No one wants to actually face their demons. Totally, totally. But once you get into it, once you get used to the process, it is like the most satisfying work that you can do in your life because it helps you shape your whole life. What were some of either the daily or nightly or weekly, whatever time period you want to break it up into mm. routines that you were doing to develop this reprogramming in your mind? Yeah. So I think the biggest one was, um, modeling people. And so I grew up in a family of like really hard workers that created something out of nothing. So I fortunately held a deeply rooted belief that my success is inevitable which most people find hard to believe. Like mm -hmm. I just know that I am the little sprout um, or a little seed that contains within itself everything that I'll ever need to be successful. And I've just known that for a long time. So I've been modeling who I perceive to be as successful for a very long time. And the reason why that's important is because it allows our subconscious mind to see an example of who we want to become. That's really interesting. So who were you? It sounds like your family were some of the people you were modeling yourself after. Were yes. there any others? Yeah. So like I, every time I see a woman that I consider to be successful, I'm always telling myself, take a mental note. How does this person walk? How do they carry themselves? How do they behave? How do they talk? How do they think? And I just start to observe that energy around me, whether it's on social media, whether it's in books, whether it's in, out in the real world, I'm constantly observing. And I even take things from men as well. Um, I think that 
and models can have different areas of their life that we can pick up on. It doesn't have to be their entire life. This is such an interesting concept, and it makes me think of the flip side of that, which would be, I think, what we would call imposter syndrome, mm. where you're like, okay, yes, I'm this person now, but am I really this person? Or people are going to catch me like I'm a fraud. Like I have that limiting belief where I'm like, I'm about to get exposed. Like this isn't really me. Like what's happening? Did you ever experience anything like that? And how did you overcome it? No, that's so funny. Like when people talk about imposter syndrome, I have difficulties conceptualizing it. (laughs) I'm like, what does that even mean? I think because I've just always kind of known Mm. that I am whoever I choose to be and that can be whatever it needs to be and it can change. Right. So it sounds like with you, I think where that comes from is like you're not putting yourself in one box. No. So there's no box to be like totally. unopened or surprised. So for me, it's like if I wake up tomorrow and I no longer want to do this, like say, for example, my business is growing so rapidly that the version of the business like three weeks ago is already outdated. Mm. So I'm constantly allowing myself. And I think this is a really huge like entrepreneurial and life skill is to just allow yourself to shed the identities that you thought you were, all of the layers, all of the rules And the quicker, the better, because it's less uncomfortable. Right. Well, let's get to what you do today, because you you were a lawyer. You started practicing in that field. This spiritual awakening awakening happens. And then what happens with with your specific career track? Yeah. So I start a few businesses while I'm working full time because I know that entrepreneurialism is a muscle and that the sooner I start, you know, testing and failing and falling flat on my face, (laughs) the better, because that means I can get through that sooner and then get to where I want to be going. So I actually launched my first business when I was at university working as an interior decorator for my Mm. dad, the toughest client. (laughs) (laughs) And that taught me about money management, managing clients. Um, I redid his whole businesses like marketing and branding plan, all because I started I was looking for gaps and I'm mm. always looking for gaps in any area of my life. Like, how can I make this better? How can I optimize it? How can I help others? And so that was my first business. And I just kept building them. And so by the time I left the law, I had launched an online marketplace. It was a total flop and a failure, but it was enough to get me um, some really like funny, I manifested some like exposure in the local like newspapers. And that got me to Sydney which is where I then started the journey once again of like figuring out who I was, what I was here to do after that business failed. And at what point did you make the move from Australia to the US? 18 months ago. So in January last year. Wow. And so this, did you have your sights on LA specifically? No, I just followed the flow of life. I knew that I was supposed to go to the US and it was probably about eight to nine months in the making. Like just that year that I made the move was probably the second hardest year of my life. Like I had to go back to Perth, my hometown, after having moved to Sydney. I moved back in with my mom to help her sell our family home that she'd been trying to sell for a number of years. I had to do a lot of like deep inner work, deep, deep, deep work with my coach that I had at the time. And um, after I just like with sheer force and sheer energy and sheer manifestation helped my mom sell that house Um, and that facilitated my move to the U S because my mom was no longer in Perth and she'd moved to Melbourne. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there was a lot of pieces of that puzzle that I, I had to felt like I had to bring together and I did. And I always say to people, like I had a vision, it was painful getting there, but nine, 10 months later, like here I was in a completely new country starting the next chapter of my life. 
And specifically with the U.S., was it because of your businesses that you felt like this is where they would thrive the most or literally was a gut feeling that it's like, it's the U.S.? Um, it was a gut feeling. I'd wanted to go since I was um, in high school. I always imagined myself going to college here. But then there was also a feeling of, you know, if we get really attuned to energy and um, whether or not we're expanding or contracting energetically. When I felt into being in Australia, I felt like the energy was contracting mm. me. It didn't feel expansive to me. And I, I felt a lot of guilt around that. It was really hard for me to be like, okay, I'm going to leave everyone I love and everything I know. My life in Australia is really darn good. And I'm going to pack my life up with like two suitcases, move to a country I've never lived in before. I don't even know where I'm going to live and trust that life is leading me somewhere. Thank God you're saying this because I am doing the same yeah. thing. I have my two suitcases. I have this gut feeling. Yeah. I'm like feeling so ready to do it. Amazing. But then there's like I said, it's like little voices just in the, even in the last two weeks, it's been like, oh, wait, so you you don't know anyone, you don't have a job, you don't know where you're living, but I'm like, I know I'm resourceful enough to figure it out, and it sounds totally. like that's what you were like, I'm just figuring it out. Yeah, totally, and I I was so attuned to like knowing that I had to go that I got signs. Like I ended up manifesting like free business class tickets. I ended up, I actually had a person that I didn't even know come up to me at a Christmas party like two months before I left, and they told me that like wherever I thought I needed to go, I needed to go. And I talk about this on my podcast episodes. That's crazy. Oh my gosh, I feel like yeah. chills from that. Yeah, so I feel like I've, I'm always divinely loved and guided on my journey. It's not the easiest one, but because I have such like clarity of vision, which I think we are all capable of having, life has always looked after me. Always. What, uh, I mean, it, I can tell because now, because <laughs> look at where we are. It's just so amazing that you were able to manifest this all. And how old are you? Just so the audience can get some insight. 31. 31. Yeah. So you guys, this isn't something that took her 50 years to build the life of her dreams. No. Like this is what, when, since you really started not even 10 years since no. you really had that shift of energy. Probably like 2011 where I hit absolute rock bottom. Took me a couple of years to get out of there. So maybe like 2014. And then, um, I've been running this business for two and a half years. So really like things can start to gather momentum very, very quickly. And like I knew and I know now that what I'm doing 100% works. I love it. So those two businesses failed. The first yes. one, the the interior decor yes. for your dad, and then the online marketplace. Yes. When they failed, and you said like flopped on your face, yes. things like that. What specifically failed? Like no clients? You did you blow all your money? Like walk us through what failures you encountered. Well, so there were three businesses that I started before this one. Um, two of them, I just knew that they had served their purpose. And remember, like I look at life as being a game. I look at business as being a game. We're simply playing, learning, and we're using this incredible vehicle that we have at our disposal to create the life that we want and to learn and grow and evolve as human beings. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's the belief that I have. So I kind of looked at it and I was like, what can I learn from this? What can I take from this? What do I not have to repeat again? And then who am I going to become for the next version of this? So I just kind of like took all those learnings. I would say they were failures because they didn't continue beyond a certain time. But really, like, I just knew that they'd served their purpose. And then what are you doing specifically today that you, this sounds like it's been about three years yeah. in the making. Can you tell us what that business is? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a transformational coach talking about mindset and spirituality manifestation. Um, that is like my trifecta of three things. And I also work with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners, helping them get aligned to their life's mission and purpose. And then building really actionable and strategic 
um, ways that they can up-level their success. So for me, it's all around strategy, all around mindset and your, and then your vibration and your energy. Oh, that's what we all need. I think everyone needs one of these types everyone of coaches. Does. Because, Seriously, like I think there's a huge yes. need in the world for this. Um, it's why I got into it. I accidentally fell into it. <laughs> I love it. And um, yeah, two and a half years, here I am deeply obsessed and loving absolutely that I'm do- everything that I'm doing. I love that you found something kind of serendipitously. It wasn't like you at 21 years old were like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. What are all the steps I need to take to get there? It was like, no, sometimes you have to fall three separate times to get back on your feet. Totally. Like I, if someone had told me one day you'll be a coach or that you'll be talking about manifestation and mindset, um, I wouldn't have believed them. Right. Because Because at the time I wasn't even willing to own who I was and what what my life's mission and purpose was. There's a lot of people out there that would listen to this and think full, full, disclosure like this Mm. is bs like this job isn't real you don't have benefits what do you mean you don't get a bi-weekly paycheck how are you building any type of savings like what do you say to people that have those types of criticisms i think that we are all here to live out our own life and for some people if if that's the life that they want to be living and it makes them happy i say like rock on keep going like you're Mm -hmm. on your own your right path right um if you know that it's not for you then we need to like step aside and away from ourselves for a moment and observe ourselves from the outside and say, okay, am I open to the possibility that things could be better? Mm-hmm. Am I open to the possibility that things could be different? Am I open to the possibility that maybe I don't have all the answers from where I stand? And it's like, if we allow that little bit of possibility to creep into our life, then all of a sudden there are possibilities available to us. What about when you started doing this type of work. Yeah. Did you have any internal struggles that you were like, I can't do this alone. I need a team or a support system. And if so, who are those people for you? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I learned on this journey, especially watching my dad run like a multi-million dollar business was, and, and have a really terrible team of people around him. (laughs) And he ran the whole show, which is why I don't think that, um, it would never reach the potential that it should have reached, um, was that I'm not going to do this on my own. I'm going to hack my way to the top. And for me, that means like optimizing how I do it and not doing things the hard way. And I started off doing things the hard way. (laughs) Yeah. And then I, um, once again, I think through like chance kind of invitations, I, um, went and saw a psychologist after like probably a year after my dad passed away. Cause I was struggling to deal with my mom's grief. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the psychologist like was the best thing that ever happened to me. Got me on the path of learning about human behavior, how I really have the ability to move out of a victim mindset. So I was playing the victim at that point in my life. Um, but it wasn't going to help me create the life that I wanted. So after that, I, um, hired a few coaches. I've probably had like four coaches to date, um, healers, business coaches, um, so many different modalities. I've invested in so many courses. I've probably invested like well over a hundred thousand dollars into my self-development. I was just about to ask is like, I really want to break down these weird walls that people have around money because you do need to invest in yourself if you want to see change. Like even my podcast, if I wanted to take it seriously, I had to invest in someone to make the logo, do my sound design, et cetera. And I'm like, it's not like I have money flowing in from every part of me to do this, but I trust that 
this will all pay off one day. Totally. So when you're talking about you spent that much money, did this come from past businesses? Where did this money just manifest itself? Because you know there's people listening that are like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. I don't have that type of money. Cool. So then don't invest $100,000, invest $1,000. And so um, I'm actually about to literally record a podcast (laughs) episode on this. Um, Yes, amazing. With the abundance challenge that I ran last week, the biggest thing that I heard from people was they somehow expect that the universe is going to turn up for them before they turn up for themselves. Mm. And so they're like, oh, I'm just going to wait for the universe to deliver me the money so I can buy your course. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like rule 101 of manifesting is that you make an investment in yourself and then the universe matches and then doubles and then triples your investment. I love that. So I think the biggest misconception that people have been brought up with is that somehow life is going to deliver them what they think they deserve before they have to do the work. Yes. I always try to explain this on my podcast. I'm like, manifestation is not a game show. It's not, you no. spin a wheel and it's like, here's a hundred thousand dollars in your lap. Now go use it how you want. Yeah. Cause people are like, well, I want a million dollars. I didn't see it in my bank account. I was like, but did you do any work, anything? Did you did you internally change your beliefs? Did yeah. you actually invest no. in something? <laughs> oh, you just thought you were going to wake up and have a million dollars in your bank account? Like, it's not a game show. No, and I think that the universe requires us to put up our hand first and say, I'm dead serious about this. So back in 2011, since then, I have started turning up as the version of myself that needs to turn up in order to get the results. And so my manifestations are a direct result of firstly, not playing the victim. This is a really, really big one. Most people are blaming, criticizing, and judging others for their life instead of taking 100% responsibility. That's step one of manifestation. Uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. (laughs) Super uncomfortable, right? (laughs) To look at ourselves and be like, oh, actually, oh, maybe I'm responsible for how much money there is in my bank account. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I still love myself, but now I'm going to do better. And so I think that's really step one. And then knowing that an upfront investment is always required. Otherwise we're resisting the abundance that needs to flow to us. So I've made some big investments. I have made some really uncomfortable investments, seriously uncomfortable, like flying by the seat of my pants (laughs) in order to take off the ground. Mm -hmm. And, but I've always held full trust and knowing in myself And the universe that if I turn up as the best version of myself every single day being better than I was yesterday and I dedicate myself to excellence, that life will take care of itself. What about people that are listening that are like, this sounds great, but I have a pretty like good stable job. I get a paycheck every two weeks. I have benefits. Mm. I can pay my bills off. Yes, I'd like more money, but you know, things are fine. I don't understand how I'm just going to all of a sudden have more money because I have my biweekly paycheck. Yeah. What are some things that you did when you were running, when you started making these investments that you were evaluating? Meaning like if someone's like, you know what? I am going to invest a thousand dollars a day. How should we be looking at evaluating coaches or courses or anything like that versus scammer scammers, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm, I mean, I've never encountered a scammer because it doesn't fall into my field of possibility. Um, I trust my judgment. I trust that um, if I'm tuning in, if I'm looking for the right like data or the right evidence, that I will always hire the right person for me on the journey. I've never had any regrets with anyone that I've worked with. That's amazing. Yeah. So what, how are you doing this though? Is it just Google? Are you asking friends? Are you posting on social media? Because what I'm trying to do is create a very like tangible action item for people that are listening. So they're not like, I don't even know where to start. I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, cool. So 
a great way to do this is to do a journaling exercise first. Step into the version of yourself, the best version of yourself 12 months from now. And from that standpoint, ask yourself, what am I believing 12 months from now? How am I behaving, acting, thinking, walking, talking, dressing? And then you reverse engineer who you are there and you bring it into the present moment. So you'll be like, okay, that version of me like brushes her hair in the morning. And so then you start brushing your hair. Mm -hmm. That version of me eats organic, healthy food. You start investing in that. You start making the small incremental shifts. And when we start to do that, we start to see, okay, maybe there is a gap here in a knowledge and skill set that I need. Maybe this is something over here that I need to go learn and explore. Maybe this is, some, this is a place where I need to do some personal work. Life starts to show us in the form of resistance and blocks where we need to go and head. Um, if the job isn't working for you, start exploring what else you're passionate about um, or go speak to a career counselor. Like most corporate roles have people that you can go speak to for free. But guess what? People don't even think to go speak to those people for free. The only thing that blocks most of us is the extent of our creativity. Ask better questions. Get curious about the world. Get curious about yourself. Get curious about the possibilities as opposed to being like, woe is me, I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. Why are you stuck? How do you unstuck yourself? What Mm -hmm. would it look like if I wasn't stuck? Yes. I like the visualizing and the reverse engineering. I think that's so important. Uh, We can reverse engineer our whole life. I'm constantly doing it. I do it like over and over and over again. Constantly reverse engineering from the version of myself that I want to be, not where I'm at now. I always tell my clients, I don't care who you are today. That's an old version of you turning up. Mm -hmm. I want to know who you are 12 months from now. I want to bring that through. The people you work with now, it sounds like are a lot of it's like online business yes. um, individuals or entrepreneurs. When you started out your business, mm-hmm. let's say someone wanted to start right now and they literally have no background, like they're not an influencer, they're not a social media guru that you just find on Google. Like, how did you build credibility to start working with clients? Yeah. So the thing is, you already are have elements of your zone of genius. So I always get clients to sit down and think about what are the skills that I've acquired over the course of my lifetime. And sometimes it's things that you don't even think are relevant. They're relevant. The fact that I built my first blog back when I was 18 is relevant. Um, the fact that it was weird that I did my dad's marketing or that I, I set up my friend's social media account might seem irrelevant, but it's relevant. So we want to start looking at all the things that we've learned along the way of our journey. And then we also want to look at what life has taught us because every single one of us has had a unique set of experiences. And it's usually the challenges that we've overcome that we are already without realizing it um, pretty, pretty much a specialist in. So we basically have gifts that we haven't even tapped into. Completely. Is what it sounds like. Completely. And which so, I agree with. <laughs> yeah. And so like some things that you think that might not be a skill, like say, for example, you're really organized and you're amazing at helping people organize themselves might seem obvious to you, but that might be a really valuable skill to someone else that doesn't have it. Oh my gosh. This is funny because I always tell my sister that she needs to be like a closet or like house organizer. Yeah. And then there, and all of a sudden I see on Instagram, there's a companies that specialize in yes, organizing people's pantries. Yes. I was like, you could be working with like the Kardashians and they're organizing their huge closets, yeah. but people think, Oh, if it's not a traditional career, it's not real. So that's something that I think you and I can agree. Obviously you've lived that life. Like, Oh, I don't just need to go down the law or medical or whatever architecture fields. There's people that are like, I would love to do that, but I just don't see how that's, going to support my lifestyle? Like, how do I even start? So it sounds like you started, you give them tools to start with, but 
What if someone starts self-sabotaging? Have you run into that with your clients and how oh, do you deal with that? Everyone self-sabotages. Um, yes. And I think it's really important to start to develop an awareness around it, um, which is the first step in any form of change, whether we do it with someone or on our own. And then once we have an awareness of where our gaps are, then we can start to work on them. So this is where I think any form of mindset coaching becomes incredibly important to this journey because your self-sabotaging will continue to limit your success and place a ceiling on it every time. How can we get rid of the limits that we place for ourselves? It sounds like you have a lot of different tools that you can dip into. A lot. Um, I think going back to money, that's probably the biggest one. People just think, well, I only get my paycheck one way. How am I going to manifest more money? So I'm curious when we think of abundance, like what is your mindset around it and why do you think you have such a different view on it versus someone that has a lot of money, but it's just like capped out, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't look at, um, abundance as having to come from one source. And I think that's the first, that's a really big limitation to be Mm -hmm. like, Oh, only my salary can deliver me abundance. You're not being creative enough. And, um, most people can probably look around the room that they're standing in right now and find a whole heap of things to sell just to get started. Mm -hmm. They have skills that they can begin to monetize. They have ways of like optimizing their current spending. They have ways of investing better. They have ways of, you know, paying down debt. Um, They have ways of starting to recognize the abundance that's already available in in their life so they can leapfrog off that into even more abundance. Um, We all have the resources. I think the biggest limitation that we have around is how we've been taught to think. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can only do one thing. Or if you're shifting your time on something else, then you're wasting your time on your main job. Like, that's clearly not true, as we can see you're a physical manifestation of that. Yeah. But I think it's just so hard for people to get out of the, like, well, this is it. This is my life. Like, I'm done. Yeah. Um, And here's the thing. If you choose to believe that, guess what result you're going to get? You're going to get that belief. Life is going to confirm, yep, you know, yep, Gary, or yep, Susan, you're totally right that there is no other way for you to make any money. Yeah, you basically just told the universe, you're right, this is all I can handle, so please stop giving me anything else. Whereas I prefer to leave open-ended, where else can I make money? How else can I make money? What would it look like if I was to open up another stream of income and just like put it out there? You know, some people start MLMs on the side. Um, There are are so many things that we can do to invite more abundance into our life. We can ask for a pay rise. Most people don't even think to do that to negotiate a pay rise for themselves because they have brought into the paradigm that I shouldn't ask for more says who. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Can you talk about that? Because you did a post recently about the word no. And once we hear that there's an immediate, both I think subconscious and conscious reaction. That's like, Nope. Okay. We're done. That's the end. Yeah. I think it's because from a very young age, we were taught told no if we went against that we'd get into big trouble and that would be dangerous Mm -hmm. for a little toddler and the problem is that we carry that throughout our life and so as soon as someone's like no we're like okay not gonna go there because our fear of rejection is pushes us away from where we actually want to be heading and the things that we really value so i can say a million times over that i value financial independence But if I am avoiding no at all costs, I'm not going to put myself in financial, sorry, in situations that would enable me to step into financial independence. I'm going to spend my whole life avoiding any form of rejection. So let's do a real life scenario. Let's say going to the pay raise example. Yes. Someone's like, I make $50,000 a year. That's it. I do get benefits. You know, that's, that's great. I get a few reimbursements on my fitness classes, but I make $50,000 a year. I want to make 75,000. Yeah. What is 
what is the first step in going about asking for that? In a pay rise situation, mm-hmm. I would look at my performance over however long I've been at that role for. I would look at the things that I've done really, really well, how I'm delivering value, um, what role I play with in the team, um, whether or not my salary has increased, how much it has increased by in the past. And so it all comes down to like having a clear strategy. So firstly, knowing your own self-worth. And knowing that you are delivering and over delivering on what you said you were going to do. I think a lot of people either undervalue themselves or overinflate <laughs> how capable they are, which are both traps. And then once you have that, it's really about putting together a plan. I never go, I never went to my bosses with problems. I went to them with solutions. So I actually requested while I was working as a lawyer to work part-time because I wanted to get my business off the ground. And at the time, um, the HR department said, you know, this is really unusual. No one's ever done this before unless they've had a baby. And I thought, great. I'm going to set a precedent and an example. And so before I went and proposed that to my boss, I put together a whole case analysis as to how the team would benefit from me working part-time, how I would benefit and why it would be a cost benefit to the business. So that is how I would go about it. Firstly, having the mindset and the beliefs that it is already yours Mm -hmm. and it's for this and these reasons. And then putting together a strategic plan that says, hey, if you were to lose me, for example, and I'm a star performer, then it's actually going to cost you more than retaining me and giving me that twenty twenty five thousand dollars pay rise, and these are the reasons why. I love that. So basically, have the evidence to back up your claims, totally. but also believing it because. I think if you don't believe it, if someone's like, no, sorry, we just can't provide that to you, then yeah. that, that's when you go into that shutdown mode and you go back into your little shell and you're like, totally, okay, we're never going to ask again. Absolutely. And like when I walked into that room and asked for that, I held within me a belief that, okay, if they don't agree to this because I know I'm truly deserving of it and there's a massive benefit to the business, I'm willing to walk away. And whether or not I would have walked away, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I went into it with the belief that I would walk away and that made me fearless. That's you, you acted like the person you wanted to be totally, which is, it seems like a big theme in your life, Yeah, which brings me back to your business because I always am so interested in when people start their businesses, how do they even come up with their own rates? How do they get clients? How do they not, um, how do they avoid anything just completely derailing your business? I'm sure you've run into a million obstacles as we all do, but mm. I'm just so curious where you even start. Like you say, okay, I'm ready to do this with my career path. Yeah. who's your first client? How much do you charge? Where do you even come up with those numbers? Like, I'm just so interested in all that stuff. Yeah. So because I work with a number of business owners and coaches starting out, uh, the biggest thing that I see around them is that they're too scared to take action. And I think the one thing I learned was in business and watching my parents is that just move fast, fall over, pick yourself up and keep going. And the best way to do it is a done is better than perfect. Progress is better than perfection. And just start making small incremental shifts. I actually got my first clients when I was doing market research for this business. Most people wouldn't even think to do market research for a coaching business. But once again, the universe delivered me a person who saw me speak at an event who happened to be a really brilliant market researcher. And I saw that opportunity. I didn't dismiss it and say, I don't need this. I thought this is actually the best way for me to start my business. So I put the word out via like a survey on some Facebook group (laughs) and someone messaged me and they said, actually, I'm looking for a coach. Would you coach me? And so I started that way, $100 an hour. Didn't really know what I was doing, but I just got rolling anyway. And we talked about productivity. I love that. Yeah. And then how did it scale from there? Well, there was no business cards, no website for months. 
Oh, wow. So it was just kind of word of mouth. Totally. Like, let go of his belief that somehow, like, everything needs to be perfect. It doesn't. And so if you have conviction, if you know where you're heading and you start telling everyone that you meet, I love networking. I think it's a great way to do things. Um, The relationships that I've been building for years, once I told people what I was doing, they were like, yeah, I'm ready to work with you. Like, let's do this. So I packaged up an offering. I launched with a life purpose program, helping people align with their purpose, because that was the thing that I just had been through with my coach. And I loved that really hands-on process. And now that's what you're doing today. I, I know we were talking about multiple streams of income. Yes. Are there other ways that you're monetizing what you do? Yeah. So um, I am doing a lot of one-on-one coaching. I have online programs now. So I think I've got four programs um, at various different tiers. I run group programs as well. So group coaching and um, getting slowly into speaking as well. And you know, it's all been a two and a half years of refining my message consistently putting my content out there, knowing that I will get better as opposed to being like, oh my God, that one post I did was so awkward and terrible. Who cares? You're going to do like thousands of them in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. Just keep rolling. So that all sounds amazing and also sounds overwhelming. Do you ever get overwhelmed and how do you deal with stress? Um, There is a huge part around managing emotional management. I have been coached through it. So I've done a lot of negative emotion clearing, which all creates a cap on our success. I highly recommend people doing that with a coach. Um, if you're, if you're holding on to any grief or trauma, like eye pattern therapy is phenomenal. Um, there are so many different modalities that we can use because emotions are key. They affect our vibration, which affects what we can manifest in the world. And so once you start to like loosen up that crazy roller coaster of um, your emotions, it becomes easier to be rational about what you're experiencing in the world and not be like, oh my God, I'm such a loser and a failure. No, you actually just like didn't do so great at that. And there was some valuable feedback that you got from it. So just repeat the exercise again. So it seems like you don't really let negativity derail you. No, but it's been a process getting here. Like I cannot tell you how many times I have been in a puddle of tears bawling my eyes out, having a meltdown since like 2011 while I go through all of this uncomfortable growth. But here's what I know. It's way, way, way more uncomfortable for me to live what I call like a mediocre life. Mm -hmm. That to me is like infinitely more painful than going through the temporary pain of getting to where I want to get to. Yes. And I love that you said temporary pain. I feel like my mantra this year is like everything is temporary. Like that totally. feeling is temporary. That yeah. one bad experience, temporary. Yeah. Like everything, if you even break it down to what we're doing right now, it's a temporary conversation and we'll go about our day. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Everything is temporary and it gives me some type of peace when I do get a little overwhelmed. Yes. Um, but then, you know, there's, there's other things that come up where I'm like, okay, I do need to do the work. But like you said, it's scary. No one wants to do it, but that's really the only way to get on. There's no workarounds Or loopholes to not do the work. The cliche of everything you want is on the other side of fear is 100% correct. Yes. That thing that petrifies you most, if you work through that and lean into that, contains everything that you want in life. So say, for example, you're scared to be rejected, but you want to meet your soulmate. Hey, here's the thing. Um, Your soulmate lies on the other side of vulnerability and rejection, believe Mm -hmm. it or not. You want to be abundant. Your your, um, most abundant life lies on the other side of you, like getting over your self-sabotaging behaviors and your old outdated beliefs. I want to talk about victim mindset because I think people don't even understand that they're in it. Yes. Um, I 
talked about this, I think before on a podcast where one day at work, I just like completely listened to everyone and how they talk about themselves. And I was like, this is draining. Like, thank God I wear my headphones half the day because all I was hearing is like, oh, this client hates me. I suck. Oh my God, I'm going to get fired, this and that. But then people also don't want to take responsibility of, well, it's my boss. I have a shitty team. This person doesn't listen to me. Yeah. Um, But again, some people might not think of that as a victim mindset. They're like, no, that's just my reality. Like, that's how my workplace is. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about what victim mindset is and what are little things, even big if you have them, that we can do to break that? Yes. So the biggest piece in all of these, this is recognizing that life is not happening to you. It's happening for you. Now that can be incredibly confronting and difficult for people to conceptualize, but that knowledge can shift your entire life. Things you didn't just turn up in the universe and life's not just throwing all this crap at you every single day. No, it is working for you if you choose to get in alignment with it and to listen to the signs and to take the right actions. The problem is most of us like don't even tune into that. Um, I think we've been conditioned to play into the victim. You know what? It serves many of us. It served a lot of us until a certain point in time. But the truth is that if you really want to live your definition of abundance and success, there is no space for the victim. There is no space for the drama queen. There is no space for the criticizer, the warrior, the person that's always blaming others. Like that, you won't meet someone that has like made it in life that has any of those ways of operating. And at one point, did you get out of the victim mindset in your own, in your own lifetime? It sounds like, you know, that's something that you did go through. Yeah. And then I think you maybe talked about this a little bit, like journaling, visualization, were you going to weekly therapists and healers and specifically what were those people specializing in? So I think that we can, we can work through that without necessarily having to invest. Once again, if the victim wants to say, but I don't have the money to invest in this, well, here's the thing. You can start by taking 100% responsibility for your life. And what that looks like is I remember my therapist saying to me, okay, Lauren, so you're telling me this story about what happened with your dad and obviously it was a tragedy and very traumatic. How do you choose to retell that story so that it works for the benefit of your entire life? And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean I can like rewrite the story? And she's like, yeah, you get to decide how you want to tell that version of events. Because remember, we're only ever perceiving reality from our, from where we're currently standing. So we can actually shift that version of events so it serves our hero's journey. So then if I decided that I was going to turn my tale of tragedy into triumph, guess what? My whole life shifted. And it's because of that, just rewriting the narrative. Totally. Anytime stuff comes up for me, comes up for everyone. I'm always like, okay, what can I learn from this? Mm -hmm. How can I be better? What can I do differently? Who do I need to become to avoid this? Remembering that life is always happening to me. Okay. There's a hurdle here. Great. What is this teaching me? Um, I take full responsibility for it. How can I turn up differently next time? Most of us don't realize that what we are experiencing in the, in our life is a direct result of what we're tolerating, putting up with and accepting. Yes. What's interesting about you is that you carry yourself so well. Thank You're you. so confident. I can tell you love what you do. Totally. But were there any obstacles, whether it was this business or others outside of the, you know, flops, like internally that you went through that you're like, is this really what am I supposed to be doing? Or anything that popped up that was just like, mm, am I really sure about this? Yeah, totally. I've had to work through a lot of um, self-limitations, um, a lot of old negative emotions like grief, um, anger, judgment, 
fear, a lot of fear because mine was like especially traumatic, especially in the space of like money and losing my dad, um, working through feelings of abandonment. Um, gosh, I've like experienced it all, like money pressures, feeling like I'm not going to have enough money. Uh, I think a really big one was also learning boundaries. Mm, oh my God. I can't believe you said that because literally the other night I talked about this on like two podcasts already. Uh, boundaries <laughs> determine the quality of your life. Yes. We were talking about throat chakras and being yeah. blocked and she was, the girl that I was with was basically saying, are there areas of your life that you feel like you're blocked? And I was like, I think I'm actually not that great at setting boundaries. So yeah, most human beings are no. Cause it, it reminds just the word setting boundaries itself. Sounds like it's like, don't, don't cross this. It already sounds confrontational. Like yeah, the, totally. the connotation of it. And especially if we've been conditioned to be like the good girl or mm-hmm. the good boy or the people pleaser, these are all roles that we take on in childhood. It can feel quite dangerous for us to say no to someone because there might be some sort of repercussions Mm -hmm. that we're, you know, the three-year-old self in us doesn't want to have to deal with. Right. And setting boundaries to your point could mean you're going to lose a friend. You're going to lose a family member. Your world might shift because that person's out of your life. Yeah. So what are some boundaries that you've had to set? And can you give us like actually verbatim how you did that or Mm. said it or wrote it out, whatever the case may be, because I think people are scared because they don't even know how to say anything. Yeah. Um, A really big one is, I actually taught this in the Abundance Challenge recently, is asking myself, what am I no longer willing to tolerate? And once again, you can jump into the shoes of the future self view that's abundant, successful, living their best life and say, what would they not put up with? And you're just writing it down. You're not going over to your friend and being like, hey, you, you've crossed my line. You're just doing a brain dump because for people just to recognize that they have been, and boundaries is just self-worth, to recognize that they've had so such low self-worth for themselves and their own boundaries and their own needs is a very emotional process, but there is power in just acknowledging it and writing it down. And so I think that's really the first step. Before you even share it with anyone, just write down all of the places in your life where you feel resentful, where you feel like someone's done something wrong to you, where you feel hard done by, you know, even being, uh, um, and maybe you are being a victim then, that's totally fine. Just write it down, put it down on paper so that you can start to recognize all of the places where you either have loose boundaries or in many cases you had no boundaries at all. And so what's a specific, have you ever had to set a friendship boundary? And this is a personal question all the time, because I feel like those are the hardest because boyfriends it's like, okay, yeah, you're not going to marry that person. We're fine. We can break up. I feel like friendship breakups or even family member breakups are probably the hardest. Like what was that like? And what were specifically the things you had to do or say and why? Yeah, this is a really big one for a lot of people. They're like, oh, I'm so scared that like I'll lose blah, blah. It's like, okay, but is that person going to turn around the end of your life and be like, thank you so much for sacrificing yourself and all of your needs and all of your life's desires and wants in order to like hang out with me? No, (laughs) no, (laughs) that's never going to happen. In fact, you're probably going to have some sort of disagreement with that person five years from now and you never see them again. Right. And yet we place so much energy and our significance on other people as opposed to taking ownership of it ourselves. So I always ask people, what's more important, the fact that your auntie might judge you for what you're doing with your life or the fact that you're going to go off and help thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people in your lifetime. So I think even having a strong sense of mission and purpose gives you some sort of like context um, when you're worrying about what the neighbor down the road is thinking. 
Right. And I always think of this too, like, is that neighbor paying my bills? Are they helping me in times of crisis? Yeah. Do I lean on them for support? Like, no, 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 No. more no than why do I care? Are they an expert at the (laughs) advice that they're giving? Most likely not. Right. Therefore, like their opinion, I'm going to take it. I'm going to listen to it, but I'm just going to take it with like a pinch of like grain of salt. Right. Right. And be like, okay, you know what? This doesn't even work for me. Right. Um, So just letting it go, cutting it off, not playing into it, not giving it too much of my energy. Right. What about with clients? Have you ever run into clients that are either overstepping their boundaries Mm -hmm. with what they've asked of you or your time? And how do you handle that? Um, I always say our clients are a direct reflection of us. Mm. (laughs) So if I ever hear a coach saying like, oh, my clients don't have boundaries. Well, where do you not have boundaries? Right. Um, I've very rarely experienced it. If I have, I've always known straight away, like, "Hmm, Lauren, check your boundaries. Mm -hmm. What do you need to put in place moving forward as opposed to blaming the client for not having clear boundaries? No, it's entirely my responsibility. What's a specific boundary that you set with clients, whether that's like a response time or don't talk to me, don't text me in the middle of the night or something like yeah, what's I, a specific I think one? that they're really, um, it's really important to set clear expectations from the get go. And I always have that conversation up front so that there's no confusion, put it in writing. Um, also I find that because I trust that the energy that I put out into the world is of a high caliber and I aim for excellence, that the clients that turn up are always a direct reflection of that. And so I've never had anyone text me in the middle of the night. Oh, and amen. I'm just like, no, it won't happen. Right. <laughs> and if it does, I'll just have a direct conversation around it. Right. Again, going back to just setting the boundaries. Totally. And you know what? Boundaries are so uncomfortable. It's still a work in progress for me. I think I did my first set of boundaries work probably like three years ago now and my coach was laughing at me the other day being like remember when you had no boundaries i'm like mary that's not funny (laughs) (laughs) you're like i've done the work look at me now yeah and i'm still like every up level requires um a new new set of boundaries and for me I very much like energetically feel into like, is it, do I want to go to that social event? Does it feel good to me? Does it feel expansive? No, I can't go anymore Mm -hmm. because you know why the, the thing that I'm building, the life I'm creating for myself is more important than temporarily upsetting someone. Yes. I did that the other night and it felt so good. I I was just like, Oh my God, I don't want to go. And I didn't go. And I was like, yeah, Look at that, no it. one even cares that much. Totally, and the times that you go against your will, you're not turning up as your best self. No. So you're not being fair to the people that you're spending time with. Not at all. And I remember thinking that. I was like, even if I go, I'm going to be in a bad mood. I'm going to be not social. People are going to be like, what's wrong with you? Totally. And I'm gonna, I don't even want to deal with that energy, so no. why go? Yeah, so we just, I think um, an energetic attunement, vibrational attunement might sound a bit like woo to some people. This is where the game is played. Right. What about in your business now, what mm. is your favorite client story or like transformation? And on the flip side, what's uh, an obstacle that you run in with a client that you had to overcome that now you're look- looking back, it seemed like a failure, but you're like, okay, that was just a learning lesson. Um, I look at everything that I get as feedback. So one of my core beliefs, and I think people need this, is there is no failure, only feedback. Um, and I carry that with me through life. So everything... Everything that I experience is a learning experience. Um, our clients require certainty from us. So if we're turning up uncertain, if we're speaking uncertain, if we're not trusting in our own message, people pick up on that unconsciously. So I think a lot of the transformational work begins with certainty from the coach that what they're doing is working. 
And that's always translated. Um, I love all of my clients and they all have their own unique journeys and stories. I think a lot of the really rewarding stuff is when I've helped someone clear something. So some emotional block or um, an old self-belief. And then they have the manifestation of what they've wanted, like so close after. Love that. It's so fun. I love getting all the messages, which are daily of people being like, wow, so this happened. I just made 40K. Um, I just overcame this. This turned up in my life. It's just fun. And I'm like, of course it did. Of course it did. I love that. And then, but such validation for you saying like, look, the, your purpose is helping people with their purpose. And yes. it's actually validating to see people meet that purpose. Totally. It's so fun. What about your favorite piece of advice or opinion from someone you valued? Because my podcast is about in my non-expert opinion, mm. you're an expert, you work with a lot of experts. So I'm curious, like what's your favorite piece or advice, uh, advice or opinion that you've uh, really valued? I would probably say that even having interviewed some really epic people, um, I always love getting learnings from my mom. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I remember being in the schoolyard as a kid and like handing out all this advice and the kids would be like, how do you know this? And I'm like, just verbatim from my mom. <laughs> yes. She's like the too. ultimate guru, guru Irina. As we I call literally, it. <laughs> I said the same thing about my mom and people are like, always ask about analytics, on my podcast and who's my most downloaded episode. And I'm like, it's my mom. She's my most requested guest. She has like the <laughs> highest downloads because the advice she gave was just like out of this world. And she says, it almost sounds like every time she gives advice, it's like divine timing. Cause I'll totally. ask her like the next week to repeat it. And she's like, I, I don't even know what I said. Like, it just came to me when you asked. My mom says that as well. That's so funny. Maybe our moms were like past soul sisters or something. No, they're they're immensely powerful women by the sounds of it. And I think that all of us need to have like that person on our journey. Mm -hmm. And for me, like she's that person um, that I know that I am invincible in this lifetime with my mom there in the background. You have that support system and that rock. Totally. Just like, and I always say like, have me. your A team, figure mm-hmm. out who needs to be on your A team. And we, we, it takes a village to raise a human. It really does. And so only surround yourself with the highest caliber, highest vibrational people on your journey. Love that. What if someone wants to work with you? Where can they find you? How do they go about booking you? And where can they find you on social media? Awesome. So everything is under my name, Lauren Trillian, super easy. And they can check out my website. I um, share a lot of the behind the scenes and of my business journey on Instagram. Yes. Love it with stories and Love constantly. Thank you. Thank you. Constantly sharing content there. And all of my social channels have all of my content, my YouTube as well. Um, a lot of videos and the podcast as well, which is called The Modern Alchemist. So it's all around self-transformation. Love Love it. You guys know we love podcasts on here, so go check her out. She just started and it's already taking off. Yes. Her Instagram's amazing. You give such valuable content Thank and you. it makes sense. It's not the like woo-woo in no. your face. I want it's it to feel like, super grounded and strategic. Yes, I love it. So make sure you guys follow her and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for coming on, Lauren. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another person that somehow listened to their gut, intuition, didn't let anyone else tell them how to live their life and is now living a life of their dreams. I think you guys can start to see a theme in my podcast that a lot of these successful people, especially these younger ones, had to set a lot of boundaries and really understand that they weren't gonna please everyone. I've been really trying to make a point to ask people about rejection and fear and how they dealt with insecurities or imposter syndrome or family and friends disagreeing with them, toxic relationships, setting boundaries, because that's the hard part of living the life you want is not everyone's going to agree with you. Everyone doesn't want you to live life on your own terms because it causes this level of fear where you're like, 
well, why would I put myself in that position if I could just play it safe? Like, I want that bi-weekly paycheck. It's stable. It's safe. It's fine. I'm good where I am. I'm just going to live the path that I'm supposed to live on. And, you know, hopefully things go well. Instead of listening to your gut and heart and saying, well, I know my potential. I know I have a skill set that's really interesting. I know I could actually make something out of this, but I'm going to have to deal with a lot of rejection or criticism or fear. And that's where we start to put the brakes on what we really want to do. So I'm trying to interview more people like Lauren who literally said, fuck it, excuse my French, and just went for it. They don't care. They put blinders on. And look at what happens. Now you live the life that you want. That doesn't mean, by the way, when you live the life that you want, that you're just like not working, making a million dollars, eating ice cream every day, not getting, like, I don't know where this like idea came that like you don't work and everything just falls in your lap. There's a lot of work that goes into living a life you want. That's why I like to talk about manifesting too. It's not a game show like I've talked about before where you spin a wheel and everything falls into your lap. It's just putting it out there that, you know what? I know what I'm capable of and I'm gonna follow the steps to get there versus, uh, I don't know, it seems hard and like a little bit of work and uh, yeah, I just don't wanna do that. Like, especially people that have full-time jobs, you already work 40 plus hours a week anyway. So if you already have the work ethic to sit down at a desk for 40 hours and do something that you like, maybe love, why wouldn't you also dedicate that same time or ethic that you know that you have to something that you're actually passionate about or you think would make an impact or has some type of purpose in your life? So I really hope you guys enjoyed Lauren's interview. I love her. I'm so obsessed with what she has to say. And she actually has an abundance challenge coming up, which I love because we tend to live in very scarce mindsets. Like, well, I don't know. I don't know when my next paycheck's coming. I don't know if I'm going to get paid. I don't know if I'm going to get evicted or my rent's going to go up. Like we're always worrying about money. And as you guys heard from her, she's obviously figured out how to manifest that. So I would highly suggest you sign up for her abundance challenge. I'm going to link it in the show notes and it's also on her website. Be sure to follow her at Lauren Turlin and make sure you follow me at Chelsea Reif or write into the podcast. Hello at in my Please rate, review, subscribe, or share this on your Instagram story if you found any value. And leaving a rating really helps because then I can get more awesome guests like Lauren on the show. With that, we'll see you next Thursday where I'll be reporting from Bali. Stay tuned.